Today's scripture is from Luke 24, 36 through 49. Hear the word of the Lord. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you, why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me and for me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for, Lord, we thank you for Easter again. We thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Lord, and the grace that is given through him to us. We thank you for your spirit at work that, Lord, we, we are in need of your grace in all the areas of our life. And so we pray that the resurrection would be not something from the past, and not, not merely something from the past or from the future, but that it would impact our lives here and now. Help us to live out of that. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, uh, I want to share with you that tomorrow, uh, Melissa and I, uh, my wife Melissa, will be celebrating seven long years of marriage. Right? I mean, I'm a pro. Seriously, that is more of a hand clap than I've received all morning. So thank you for that sympathy clap, because seven years is not nearly... uh, not nearly anything compared to uh, many of you who have been married for many years. But I share that because I haven't talked about my family in a while. And I wanted to uh, tell you that Melissa and I, over these seven years, we now have a two-year-old, as many of you know, named Liam. And uh, Liam, it's really cool to watch little ones kind of soak up everything like a sponge. Would you agree to see all these developmental phases? All of a sudden they're walking one day and then they're talking and then they're saying complete sentences and then they're telling on you in places you don't want them to? But he's going through this phase and has been for a while that he's our shadow. He wants to help out in everything that we're doing. Melissa and I were joking the other day. He was up asleep in his crib and she was sweeping up and I was doing something. And she goes, man, where's my little dustpan helper? Like He always brings me the dustpan. And uh, we we live in a three-story townhome. And on the first floor, it's kind of open concept. And we've moved things around a little bit. And we've actually taken uh, the bigger pantry in the living room and made that, I mean, the bigger uh, closet in the living room, our pantry. And so Melissa or I will be in the kitchen, and this pantry is like all the way across the other side of the house, 
Well, now I don't have to use my legs. It's great. I can be in the pantry and my little two-year-old wants to take everything out and go give it to mommy so I can say, uh, Liam, will you take this sugar to mommy? Okay. You know, carry it. I'm like crossing my fingers he doesn't break it. But, you know, it's... And so he'll come back and, and it's amazing these things that he'll do. And he'll do anything I ask him to do as long as he wants to do it. Right? Because he's a... Because he's a two-year-old. But you know what I recognize in watching him do all this stuff is that he is totally living in the moment all the time. His concern and regard and vision for, you know, at minutes from now, an hour from now, tomorrow, weeks beyond, that's all in our care. He relies wholeheartedly on his parents to make those decisions for him of what's next, what's coming. Now, he may tell us what he wants to do at times, but for us to... For us as parents, our job is to see beyond the here and now and to, and to help guide him through that. And, you know, can I tell you, I'm thankful for that as a child growing up in my parents' house. And, and can I just be honest, sometimes I miss that a little bit. Somebody telling me what to do, how to do it, where to go. Uh, I don't miss it too terribly much. But, but what I will say is, as a parent, as a husband, as a pastor, and especially as a Christian, sometimes I just want God to tell me what to do. Would you agree? Sometimes I just want to get on uh, Facebook on my smartphone and I just want God to, you know, leave a little post on my wall and say, hey, Mark, here's a helpful link I thought you should have so you can know what to do tomorrow. Right. Or uh, just send me a text, God, and tell me what I should. How should I deal with this situation? Lord, could you just tweet me some helpful information from time to time? And so have we ever found ourselves struggling to hear God's voice, hoping for God to tell us what to do? What's next? Lord, what should we be doing? You ever want to meet the resurrected Jesus Christ and for Jesus to say, hey, here's exactly what you should do and here's how you should do it. Because can I tell you, that's what the disciples were hoping for. They were wanting to meet the resurrected Jesus. They had, uh, some of them had been to the empty tomb. They'd heard about the empty tomb. They'd heard all these rumors about the resurrection of Jesus and he was appearing in all these places. And so they were in the middle of this room and they were talking to And sharing all of these stories, all these accounts of the resurrection. And that's when all of a sudden, Jesus appeared. And the very first things out of his mouth, the resurrected Jesus says to his disciples, Peace be with you. Now here's why that's important. Because these were the disciples, the very same disciples of Jesus Christ that were with him on the night that he was arrested. These were the very same disciples who abandoned him in his time of need, who... uh, Peter especially betrayed him uh, by denying him. And so the very first thing Jesus says, peace be with you. I forgive you. And you know what? They didn't believe it. It's not that they didn't believe that they were forgiven. It's that they didn't believe that this was actually Jesus. In fact, Scripture says that they were startled and they were frightened. They thought that they had seen a ghost. Jesus even calls them out. He says, why are there doubts rising in your mind? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Touch me. I'm skin. I'm bone. And they still don't believe it. And so he said, great, hand me a piece of fish. I'm hungry. Right? I'm not a ghost. And so Jesus, the guy that they've been spending their last few years with, They just don't believe it's him. He's having to convince that, look, you wanted to meet me, here I am. This is really me. And then finally, so he begins with forgiveness. He, the resurrected Jesus Christ invades their reality. And then he tells them exactly what they should be doing next. Luke 24 says, and he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. And he begins to talk about what uh, the scriptures say about the Messiah, how 
he would be given up and die and on the third day be raised from the dead. And how from that he gave them their mission. He said, and here's what you need to do. Repentance and forgiveness will be preached in his name. And so he's saying, you're going to go out and you're going to preach repentance and forgiveness. And here's the thing. And then I will give you what my father has promised. And so I want you to remain in the city until, uh, until you receive the power from on high. And so this is the story of Easter. This is their experience with the resurrected Jesus. And when we really think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the meaning of Easter, it's not just some day that we celebrate and then forget about it. The true meaning of Easter is an event that radically changes our lives. And not just our lives from the past of who we were, of how God has forgiven us, and not just our glory, uh, the eternity that we're going to experience in the future, but the resurrection, the the Easter message, invades, invades our present reality. And that was true for the disciples. Jesus didn't show up to them in a vision or a dream. He, The resurrection, the resurrected Jesus Christ, invaded their reality. It changed their present. And then their entire lives were shifted, were built around their experience with the resurrection. And so everything that they did from there on after came as a result of their experience with, their, with the resurrected Jesus. It's what they built their entire lives around. And so here's what I want to uh, challenge us or identify for us as Christians is, I think if, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower and you're in this room, I believe that you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe that you believe in in the resurrection. I I certainly do that. Something I struggle with that maybe you do too is I think we struggle to believe that that the resurrection can impact our lives here and now. That it can actually make a difference in our lives here and now and not just some distant future. Right? Because, friends, let let me say this. The resurrection is not something that we casually fit into our lives it's something we need to build our entire lives around and i think that's one of the struggles we have as christians is really living that out and identifying that in everything that we go through and i think paul accurately identifies that in second corinthians chapter 5 verses 17 you can see it on the screen therefore if anyone is in christ the new creation has come and so he's not saying Hey, if anybody's in Christ, one day when you you get to heaven, you're going to be this new person. No, he's saying, anybody who's in Christ, the new creation has come now. Will you read that second part with me? The old has gone, the new is here. Now, here's the challenge of this verse. Because maybe you're like me, and Lord, I want to be a new creation. At least part of me. Now, there are certain parts, Lord, that if you could just not touch, so work me, I'm really good at work. And I don't really want to, I don't want to be all spiritual at work. I don't want you to change the way I, I've got work figured out. So, Lord, could, could we just keep old me there for a little while? New creation everywhere else, but just in that part, right? Because we're afraid to, to give over to God certain parts of our lives. Lord, I want to be a new creation, but in my marriage... If you could just not mess it up for me, I've got this under control, right? We find ourselves in those places or, hey, in my family or in my relationships, in my friendships. And so we find ourselves in places where we don't want to give away the old. We want to hold on to it. We want to keep to it because we think we've got this figured out. And we're afraid of what the new creation will mean for us and what the new creation means, what this signifies for us. It's not that Jesus is going to fix everything for us. It's not... 
going to make everything all better, but it's going to change the way that we face uh, all of what we experience differently. It's going to be, it's going to change how we experience life. The resurrection will radically change how we face uh, the difficulties of life. So Dwight O. Moody, uh, he's a former Duke Seminary professor, so it's where I graduated. You know he's good. It's good, right? So he's talking to an audience one day, uh, believe to a class, and he holds up an empty glass and he, he asks them, hey, how can I get all the air out of this glass? And, uh, man, they are throwing out some of the most ridiculous responses. One guy even says, hey, why don't you take a vacuum cleaner and uh, you just suction all the air right out. You know, just vacuum seal that. Get all the air out. And he, he goes, well, that would work until the glass shatters. And then what? And so they begin to talk and they're trying to share all these ideas. And finally he gets this kind of smile on his face. And he takes a pitcher of water. And he fills it up. And he said, there you go. All the air is gone. Now, I know all you science people out there. Pastor Mark, there's still air in the water, okay? I know that. But what he's identifying is that the Christian victory for us isn't sucking out a little bit of sin here and there. It's emptying ourselves so that we can be filled by the Holy Spirit. We have to be empty so that we can be filled. That's the paradox of the Easter message, is that we find promises in the emptiness of Easter, right? The, the world promises all these things to us, and they're just empty promises. The Easter message provides, through emptiness, promise, right? I mean, we find that through the empty cross, through the empty tomb, through the empty grave clothes... They're all full of promise. So to be a a new creation and for the resurrection to make a difference here and now, I think that there are two key steps that we can take, right, to really live into what it means to be a new creation. And I think it goes back to the mission that Jesus gave his disciples. And and Paul talks about this a little bit in 2 Corinthians 5, and we'll take a look at that. But it goes back to repentance and forgiveness will be preached in his name. And he says, and wait for the power to be clothed with the power from on high. And so what I'm saying is, those two steps are to repent and receive. We need to repent and we need to receive. Repentance is presenting the broken cracks of our lives to God. Receiving is waiting for God to fill it instead of trying to fill it all on our own. You see, just as Jesus appeared to the disciples offering peace, he stands waiting for us to receive it. But before we can receive that peace, before we can receive that forgiveness, before we can receive that power, we have to repent. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, he says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And so what he's saying is, God is reconciling the world through Jesus Christ. And we need to repent. We need to believe in that. We we must repent of our sin so that we can receive forgiveness for it. So N.T. Wright, he is a scholar and a pastor and an avid writer. And he tells a story that he had actually heard from an archbishop. And this archbishop uh, was telling of a time when he was a priest. And uh, 
you know, in a church, in a local church, and it's Catholic. And uh, there were these three teenagers. They were hardened teenagers. And they decided one day that they're going to go to confession. They're going to make all this stuff up, right, just to give this priest a hard time. And so the first one walks in, and he's just making up all this ridiculous stuff, saying that he's done all these terrible sins that there's no way in the world he committed. And the second one does the same, and then they both leave. And then finally the third teenager walks in, and he lists, uh, the, the priest, the archbishop, he, lis- he listens and he hears. And then finally at the end, he responds to the boy and he says, Okay, you've been confessing all of these things to me. And so here's what I want you to do. There's a cross on the other end of the church and there's this picture of Jesus Christ. And I want you to go look at that picture. And I want you to tell Jesus Christ and look in that picture and say, You did all of this for me and I don't care. I want you to say that three times. And so he went out there, and sure enough, the teenager did it, I guess to go along with the joke. And he said, he looked at Jesus in the face and he said, you did all this for me, and I don't care. You did all this for me, and I don't care. And he got to the third time and he couldn't say it. He couldn't do it because the tears had overwhelmed him. And the archbishop telling the story says, and the reason I know that story so well is because that teenager was me. You know, there is something about the empty cross that grabs us. Something about Jesus dying for us that leaps over all these theological discussions that we have. All the possibilities of how we explain it this way or that way, and it just grabs us. And when we're grabbed by it, somehow we recognize that what's really grasping onto us is the love of God. That forgiveness. And so the power of repentance is that we empty ourselves before God by acknowledging the broken cracks in our lives and we present them to him. That's when we not only see God offer us forgiveness, but he clothes us with the power from on high. But we we need to repent. But we must also receive. That's our mission. And so Paul continues to talk about that. In 2 Corinthians 5, the rest of 19 and 20, he says, and he has committed to us The message of reconciliation. In other words, man, we get it. God has committed to us. We've internalized what it means to be reconciled to God. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though we were making, he was making his appeal through us. So we've, we've internalized it. We've repented. We've been forgiven. And now we've received it. And he says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In other words, quit trying to do it on your own. Repent and receive and let the empty cross fill all the broken areas of your life. That's what a new life in Christ is. And God will use that to speak about the resurrection. Have you ever noticed or been in the room with somebody who, man, they just lived a hard life and then one day found Jesus? And all they want to do is talk about those hard places and how God redeemed them from that place. And, you know, we find ourselves, I think, in our life these days where Man, there are these things that we just want to, we don't want to tell people about our weaknesses. We don't want to tell people about the cracks in our lives, and so we hide them. We disguise them. But when we give them over to God, and God fills them with His eternal power, it's amazing how all of a sudden we start pointing to those same cracks we were afraid to talk about. And we say, man, do you see what God did here? Isn't this amazing what God has done? And through that, the witness that we share impacts and changes the lives of others. The, the resurrection becomes real for us, not just in the future and the past, but it becomes real in our present. 
It changes the way we live our whole lives. There's this Japanese word that I'm going to absolutely butcher. Kinsu kori. It means golden repair. It's the art of restoring broken pottery. You can see a picture of it. It's beautiful. And what they do is they take these broken pieces of pottery and they repair it with gold. And what they're trying to do is they're actually trying to bring attention to the cracks, to the brokenness of the vessel. And not to disguise it, but to make it an integral part of the story. And so the artists believe that when something has suffered damage and it has a history, man, it's powerful. And in Kintsukori, the true life of an object or a person begins the moment it breaks and reveals its vulnerability. The gap between that once pristine appearance and its visible imperfection only deepens the appeal. The artist gives the broken pot new life and new beauty. And so here's my question for us as Christians. What if we allowed the new life of the resurrection, the hope of the gospel, the gold that holds us, What if we truly allowed it to fill those broken places in our lives? And we didn't just keep it. We showed it. We revealed what God was doing in our lives through our brokenness. And in doing so, instead of bringing attention to the broken vessel, we're bringing attention to the resurrected God through Jesus Christ. Our resurrected Savior. You know, we know what God's calling us to do next. Repent. And receive. It's our mission. That we would present all of our brokenness to God. And as he fills it with the power of his resurrection at work in our whole lives here and now. We would be changed. We'd be a new creation. We know the disciples talked about their betrayal. Right? Of Jesus. We know that they talked about their confusion. Their doubt. Their fears. Their failures. Because they wanted to point out all the broken places in their lives. So they could point to the resurrected Jesus Christ at work in their lives. That's what makes the Easter story so powerful. Can I tell you, the world makes a lot of promises. Smokes and mirrors mostly, frantic, cartoonish attempts to distract us from the gaping holes within our soul. Or they're trying to sell us some product to fill it. And can I tell you, all these promises, they're empty. So I'm hoping, my prayer for myself, my prayer for that maybe you'll join me in praying for yourself is that I pray that I'd be a little bit more willing to die to that stuff. I'm praying that I'll become more aware of the empty space within and that I'll resist the urge to fill it with any old thing that I can find. That I would wait, carved out and vulnerable, a cracked, crumbling uh, jar of clay on a life that God's offered to deposit anywhere there's room. That God would fill those broken areas I'm going to believe that if I'll just leave my empty spaces empty, that God will fill it. That's my prayer. And so as we look at the message of Easter and the power of the resurrection, my prayer is that that the resurrection wouldn't just remain in our past, wouldn't just be a part of our future, but it would radically transform our present. And not just part of our lives, but that it would our entire lives would be centered around it. We need to repent. We need to receive so that we can offer the broken areas of our lives to God and He can fill it with the power of His resurrection and we can reflect it and share the good news that we can be ambassadors for Christ in the reconciliation that He has done in us and that He is doing in this world through us.